on the season 14 finale i have someone very special he's the co-founder of healthians.com xbcg png nestle dabur he has over 20 years of experience across sales strategy product marketing operations across industries he's the iit im combo people swoon over and is the founder of alluvium capital welcome to the show anuj thank you so much kaushik really glad to be here so i'm super proud to be a hardcore b2b sales guy myself you know for 14 years for the past 6 have been driving b2c businesses but everyone knows that fmcg is one of the toughest businesses around you started your career with png where you got them from i think a number 24 position to a number 1 in less than a year so how did you make that happen okay so i didn't get uh, png to become to, uh, number 1 from number 24 i got the state haryana which was number 24 uh, 27 in the country to number 1 in the country uh, you know when i got into fmcg sales uh, what i noticed was that there are 200 sales people i'm managing across the state who are every day going to visit between 30 to 40 shops. And what I found was that all the methods that FMCG companies had, most of them, not all of them, mm -hmm. were designed for monitoring. Okay. Which was as a fundamental, like, you know, was a given that is going to fail because simply cannot monitor. Okay. You can do some sampling, you can do that, you can do visits with them to the shops uh, and check. So I put myself in their shoes as a salesperson who has to do 40 boring repetitive calls every day in the heat, walking out in the summers, travel from point to point. My motivation level would be zero, you know, to do that. And if I can cut corners, I will cut corners and probably it would be the right thing to do. So expecting another human being to behave in a way uh, which is like being a superman uh, while paying him a salary of uh, a distributor salesperson, it was very unrealistic. I started to think that what will it take to excite this guy so much that without being there, without anybody else being there, on an everyday basis, when he walks to that shop, he's excited to do that. He has a purpose of getting into that shop. And he himself given that I'm going to do this here. I'm going to sell this here. The drive is internal. He's enjoying that process rather than hating it. So the only way of doing that was occurred when this entire thing occurred to that person like a game. So uh, what PNG had going for itself was that they had some very good systems in place. All our salespeople were using palm tops, uh, you know, right from 2000 uh, onwards. So I created a comprehensive game where there was one measure, measure on which they were measured, where Every month, there was a, uh, you know, we called it Nirman Olympics. Nirman was the name of the distributor in Haryana was handling it. Mm -hmm. And that Olympics had different uh, games associated with it from a selling point of view. Okay. So we mapped out the skills that that person needs to demonstrate in every shop. So not just volume. So volume was just one of the parameters, okay, or the value which you're selling, which is the typical value everybody measures in sales, okay. right? Mm -hmm. We mapped out another variable called distribution where we said okay how many sqs of out of the 200 sqs that we have available how many are you placing in this shop okay and that's something he cannot cheat on mm -hmm. because it's going to show up in the bill we created a measure around initiatives that you know there's this new promotions which are going on this month okay it's very very easy for the salesperson to give a volume of 100 promotion to one shop and not give nothing to the other shops Okay. Mm -hmm. It was a very common phenomenon. 
which would lead to a lot of uh, you know uh, you know backlash from the market those are the contours of the game elements which were there and it was com com combined into a composite rank every week every day okay so on a daily basis he could see that how do i rank against my performance with uh, other sales people uh, company okay and it immediately a competitive game to uh, play and uh, that day into a week week rolled into a month and the month rolled into an year mm. and we announced right in the beginning that all performance evaluations for the entire year including all promotions will be exclusively done on the basis of performance on this only my opinion doesn't matter mm. right and we created a nirman olympics event every uh, three months every quarter they would come together they would actually have fun on a two three day offsite in a five star hotel uh and uh, they would have fun together those people will be facilitated who were in the top there would be training sessions for the bottom 25 which will also mm -hmm. kind of a signal to them listen you are in the bottom 25 and you need to shape up okay right so long answer to the short question so but we did a lot of things around that which it changed the culture of the organization so i actually stopped going to needing to go to i, I had zero work left it was running on its own right, right. excellent <laughs> generally sales is always only around numbers right so was it because it's an excellent concept to be have a whole rounded kind of an approach so would you have some kind of uh, algorithm or something by which you would have actually devised that this particular field has so much weightage so first of all you know uh, i don't believe that sales is a numbers game okay uh, i think that's a fallacy or a myth that has been promoted too long in this uh, entire domain to okay. the same as saying that uh, cricket is a numbers game cricket is a game of cricketing skill similarly sales is a game of persuasion so the volume or the you know sale value for the month that had the lowest weightage in our uh, metric after this very interesting journey you actually moved to a brand manager role and following that you moved even to consulting including bcg of course and so how was the experience in sales versus consulting when it came because sales is more like you are always there and consulting would be more like you're giving advice or suggestions but it depends finally on the client whether he really wants to listen to you which probably boils back to your persuasion point but yeah yes. so you said it so it's like from a skill point of view you are just using the same skill which is uh, getting the others to believe what you believe which if how you define persuasion and uh, that job is is just that when you are managing a sales team or when you are managing a business where you are responsible for the sales numbers or accountability you are uh, you know uh, you are also responsible 100% responsible for delivery okay. you own the number whether it comes or not True. in consulting especially in large firms like uh, or i wouldn't say large when strategy consulting firms like uh, bcg mckenzie uh, or bain it's a strange equation because um, if the results don't come you are responsible if the results come the client had a great uh, did a great job <laughs> okay <laughs> so it's a uh, in sense you don't get the high that you get when you are running your own sales team in consulting for me i change my success measure from producing that result to being able to give something which everybody is aligned on if everybody believes is going to work whether it works or not is up to them after that how well they executed and they, when they would go into execution there'll be 10 which will show up 
which you haven't thought through when you were designing the solution. So I love that you really uh, switched industries, transversed across things. But of course, then after all of this, you moved into the startup space uh, where you created one of the first D2C brands, I think way back in 2014. And what was very interesting to me was that you managed to sell off everything in just 15 days from launch. So what was the secret to this? Right. So uh, this brand was uh, Zovi.com. Uh, I was handling the women's fashion uh, business for them, uh, heading the women's fashion business. Uh, Zoe men's fashion was doing extremely well. Uh, there, the proposition of low-cost clothing had worked. And, uh, you know, so you get a shirt for 500, 600 rupees and people were happily buying. When they tried the same proposition for women's Western wear, it bombed, completely bombed. Okay, uh, They were left with inventories, take six months to sell. So typically when they would introduce a new product, uh, let's say you launched 100 designs, uh, 30 designs would be, uh, you know, something which would sell off in a uh, you know, month or two. But 70% of the stock would be which will heavily discount over the next six months and somehow get that inventory out. Okay. So that's when, uh, you know, I was brought into the scene because they had tried many things and things didn't work. And this was literally their last ditch effort to see if something uh, can be uh, done about it. And uh, so when I walked in, the first thing I told the team and very genuinely so that, you know, listen, I don't want to know anything from you. First thing I want to do is to go across and meet our, our top customers uh, so that I have an unbiased opinion about what they really think about Zoe. And when I asked that question, we were sitting in a management uh, you know, committee with the, the entire CXO team there. There was stunned silence. So I was like, why are you all silent? Because ultimately it came out that in the last four years, nobody had ever spoken to a customer other than for handling their complaints. So the internal opinion on what Zovi women's fashion was all about was extremely negative. It was that, you know, we are nowhere. We are not, we, we are not going to get anywhere. We are going to shut down this business. But when I went and met those top 15, 20 customers, in fact, I probably met 30 or 40 of them in Delhi NCR. I went to their homes, I sat down with them, I got them to open up their wardrobes and show me their uh, uh, clothes, what they like, what they don't like. I realized that they loved Zoe. They really loved the clothes. Okay. And they loved the fast fashion, they loved the price points. And there was this segment which was loving what we had to offer despite us believing that what we had to offer was crap. And I came back and I uh, pulled out all the historical data, the last three, four years, there, two, three years data that we had at Zoe, which was millions of rows. Use a big data tool to uh, analyze that data into micro, into uh, clusters and into segments. Okay. And I discovered 14 different customer segments. And this one segment, which I had met, which was the top customers, was a large enough segment, which wanted that Western wear variety, which no other brand was giving them. Plus, amongst these 14, when I mapped them, it was a whole new world which opened up for us. That, you know, do not look at your market as one market. It wasn't one market. One ICP is a myth. It's the biggest myth promoted across. And you probably have heard that across your careers. ICP focus on your ICP again and again, right? Absolutely. So micro segments work. Micro segments is the way marketing is all about. Okay. But none of us have ever been taught on how to find and create market seg uh, micro segments. The biggest mistake we make in segmentation is to start with psychographics, firmographics, uh, demographics. Okay, 
those are the clothes that you put on that segment, which happens as a later question. The segmentation itself is need-based. What does this market need? As How is their need different from another segment's need? So first thing we said, which I still find most D2C brands in the country not doing, is that what is the benefit of us being in direct customer if we're not leveraging and talking to customers in the entire running of the process? You know, if you know a bit about the fashion cycle, typically the designer or the designer will come out with a you know, concept for fashion this year based on some trends, they'll come up with designs. Those designs at best will go through scrutiny within the team or if they have a distribution uh, model where they have retailers, they'll call in a few retailers to come in and tell, okay, these are the designs, this is the range for this uh, summers. Tell me which you like, how much will you buy? And based on that volume, they will club it together and decide how much to launch. And then they will directly launch it in the market. After that, they will all watch it like a tamasha happening out there, where they say, oh, my design sold off 100%. Another will say, oh, shit, my design only sold 50%. Okay. They have no say after the product has been launched. And that's the first time the customer is seeing that collection. So then this is the typical behavior of an offline world, where you're not in touch with the direct customer. You have no leverage. But now I'm directly connected to my customer. I have the ability. Okay. How am I using that? So we did two interesting experiments there. First of all, there were many people in the internal team who believed that their design sense was better than everybody else's. Okay. And they would constantly tell us and the designers that you guys don't know what you're making. We know what, what should be made. So I got... 200 of the past designs put together, pull them out, remove the price tags from them, got these six people to sit in the room and tell, ask them, okay, you have 250, I think 50 of those products in front of them. I said, okay, now tell me which ones are the, were the best sellers and which ones were not. Okay. So they were, uh, uh, you know, like suddenly confronted with, oh, <laughs> and they still at the point of time believe that they will be able to do it. So they did the uh, analysis and the answer was 50%. They got 50% right, 50% wrong. So which was pretty much like a coin toss. Okay. So I told them, your opinion doesn't matter. Okay. And they agreed. Because without that, there was no way we would have been moved, moved away from I know better. So it was a very humbling experience for everybody that I don't know what's going to sell. It's the collective crowd intelligence which knows. It's and then I created a program called the Lead Buyer Program, okay. where we said we will our designers will design. We will do photo shoots uh, on a mannequin or, or on a, a lower cost model for that matter, and we will put up all those designed garments on a website called Be the Buyer Program, where we will invite these hundred customers that we have, okay, whom we have engaged with on on phone and told them, since you are a privileged customer for us, would help us and choose the design, voting on the designs that we have, that what should we make and what we should, what should we not make. Okay. The customers loved it. They were like, wow, this is the first brand who wants me to participate, wants values my, that I have a strong design taste. So this was pretty much like the Tom Sawyer principle. We didn't pay them a single rupee, nothing, no incentive whatsoever. Every week, two weeks, they would come and vote on the designs that we had on Be The Buyer program. 
and to our surprise we were able to reject 90% of the designs out there itself wow. at the design stage yeah. Yeah. this is the 90% of that inventory which would have sat with us for 6 months one year uh, without selling had we actually manufactured that so this had multiple effects for one when we remove that 90% which doesn't look nice and you only keep that 10% which looks really nice the experience of the website transformed when people would come to the website they would want to buy every single thing they were like wow where did this store come from okay so we went from 40% discount discount to zero discount my messaging changed on the item for only five items left only 10 items left okay my internal team at zovi with the bangalore team or other teams started complaining that you know i am not able to buy this sells out before i am able to buy it for more okay and our rate of sale uh, went up 6x uh, 7x uh, it went up okay we went from minus 40% ebitda to a plus 40% ebitda of course you went on to co-found uh, healthyenzo.com also after that uh, and what was even more interest for me was that you designed a new inside sales model uh, which i think increased sales 500x in 6 months so actually what we did was not just about inside sales the first thing it started was the same thing which we did at to go back to the customer so when i came on to hens uh, was started by my co-founder and i had joined him 6 months later after he had already started uh, to as a co-founder and when i came on board i realized that all the numbers which had been told to me uh, were pretty much wrong because they were uh, uh, showing some x lakhs of uh, uh, revenue while actually it wasn't translating to that because most of those orders were cancelled okay so the there was a outbound sales team sitting calling people troubling them and booking fake orders most of the times to complete the numbers okay and healthians till that point of time was website with 60 to 70 different listed there with their products healthians it system did not even have a tab for a customer id it was only order id based customer wasn't recognized in the system <laughs> Okay, so basically, just a you know a site put together with sixty, seventy labs thrown in, and an outbound team calling and selling. Okay, mm-hmm. there's no strategy whatsoever. Uh, uh, when I came in, I realized uh, that this is obviously not going to work, and I'm already in. So let me just go and see what can be done. So I took the first uh, two weeks to uh, go around and meet all the stakeholders, especially the customers. So I sat on the back of the phlebotomist, who is the one who collects the blood samples. Okay. and at that point of time we did not have or many of our own there were only 3 4 5 of our own rest were all basically the lab was responsible for picking up the blood sample so and when i went around and i saw at 5 am in the morning what they they are walking in uh, what they are walking in how do people read them relate to them so i got a very clear sense that this business cannot be built without owning this person who is doing the last who's drawing the blood sample okay without this experience being of very very high quality for the customer because for the customer who's having a blood test at home the person walking into the house is the brand that is their moment of truth right uh, if he's caused them pain then he's a bad guy if they have to follow up they're going to follow up with him ki meri report if they have time of uh, you know 8 am to turn up and if he turns up at 9:30 that customer has been sitting for one and a half hours waiting on an empty stomach okay mm-hmm. 
he has to go to office, he has to office. So there, that really matters to the customer that this person turns up on time. But there was no service, including Dr. Lal, SRL, or any of the bigger names, who were focused on delivering their high-quality experience at home. They would give you high-quality experience in the lab, perhaps, but not at When we started working, so I said that this is one thing which we're going to change. We, that was the first change in the industry. We said that we're going to own the phlebotomist. We will not uh, have the labs do any pickups or collections. We will, the phlebotomist we loan, and we will pick up the sample, get it to the lab, and also ensure that the report comes back to the uh, customer on time. Okay, so the entire loop has to be closed, not just uh, one part of it. Okay, so that was one fundamental change. The second fundamental change was uh, the real game changer uh, prior to the inside sales model, which was that when you walk into an offline lab, the typical thing is that you will be offered two, three packages. That these are the packages that we have, 5,000, 6,000, 4,000 rupees. Or you construct your individual uh, thing by adding your individual tests, which you want, blood tests that you want. When you add up those individual blood tests, they will cost you three times what the package price would be. Now, this is a dissonance. Now, where the customer is like, I want these tests, but I'm being forced to buy this package, uh, but I don't have a choice here. Now, that is the reality of the offline world, because in an offline world, the lab cannot change the package as per you. Okay. But again, I am in an online environment. I'm no longer in the offline environment. How can I reinvent this business to be able to give an experience? So what we did was, we first of all, Ask the sales team, which was already the current sales team that we had, the inside sales team that we had, that you guys talk to the customers every day. Tell us what do they ask for actually. Okay. And when we asked the sales team, they very clearly told us that this is what the customer asked for and this is what we sell to them. Okay. So the ask of the customers was very clear and we mapped it out. We got some 50, 60 packages from there that these are what the customers really asked for. Then we went out to doctors. He said, okay, what are the packages that you want that the labs don't have? And then they detailed out across diseases and conditions uh, that what are the packages that they really want, uh, we don't have. Then we went to the labs again. Then why do you offer the packages that you offer? Okay. We mapped those packages, which are your most popular pa packages. We mapped them. And we realized that offering a lot of packages because it led to better machine efficiency for them. And uh, when we did that comprehensive analysis and we said, okay, we cannot go back and negotiate with 10 lab partners that, that uh, we have 300 packages or 300, 400 different, right? We'll go, it'll be a nightmare of calculations. Okay. And one change which I wanted to do was that I want to put all Indians brand instead of offering five labs. Wanted to build Healthians as a brand rather than the labs as a brand till, because it's at that point of time was being done. And the only way that could be done was by offering one price, removing that dissonance from the customer's mind, offering that customer, okay, this is the package which is relevant for you. This is the price, buy it. Sure. I'm not showing you five packages. I'm not showing you five prices. How does the customer decide? They have no idea. Okay. So with that in mind, with those 300 packages, we worked at it and we found that we identified 16 Lego blocks, mm -hmm. which when combined together could create 99% of these packages. Those 16 Lego blocks, which we took out, those are the ones which we took for negotiation to the labs. Okay. There was a whole new method of negotiating with the labs to teach them how to do financial planning such that they make more money while charging less. Okay. We were able, with those negotiations, those 16 blocks, we were able to bring our gross margin up from 25 to 
while cutting our prices by 30%. And when we launched these new packages based on that, we created a custom package creation engine. Whatever the customer asks for, we will create a package for you in that moment when you're calling us and we'll give you the package price. So the best price in the market for what you actually need. That removed all friction from the uh, buying process. The customer got exactly what they wanted to ask for at the best price possible without any dissonance in their mind. Okay, That's when we launched immediately in the first month led to, led to 100x sales, increase in sales. So next step in scaling was to be able to design the sales process to be frictionless and uh, to be able to do this with a with a huge inside sales team because we as we started growing we uh, the number of the inside sales team grew from a team of 15 20 people to 200 300 people there were two fundamental things that we did one was that we stopped trying to sell to the customer what the customer did not need in the beginning okay so when typically what the call would happen the customer would call for uh, that uh, i'm getting uh, want this this and this test done the salesperson in that call itself would try and persuade them to take the next higher package because their incentives were aligned to, uh, you know, that used to be a counterproductive practice. The most common thing which you would find across sales. So uh, we changed that. We said we will just sell whatever the customer asks for and nothing else. And towards the end, we may ask them that uh, since you're doing and created a tool where what the customer was saying could be fed in. It was a, basically a sheet, a printed sheet. The customers asked for A, B, and C, and D. Maybe if you want to ask them for an upgrade, you can suggest that we also have this package which also includes vitamin D. Would you consider that? That's all. If they said no, fine. There was no selling involved there. It was just a choice which you get at your Starbucks, uh, you know, medium or large. So that removed friction. Customers started to book the test. Once they booked the test, uh, uh, at some point of time, they would get another call that, hey, are you ready for this test? Uh, you have this test tomorrow. You need to be empty stomach. Uh, why do you want to get this test done? And this will be a little more in-depth call. Now, because the customers already signed up for the uh, test. So they're way more willing to listen to what you have to offer. They discuss with you. And they would, sometimes they would suggest that, hey, listen, from instead of this package, maybe you should also get tested for A, B, and C. That will give you your take care of the worry that you have. Some people would upgrade there uh, at that point itself. But again, the target wasn't to upgrade. It was just to offer an option. If they took it, fine. If they didn't take it, fine. There was no selling involved. Third step, when the phlebotomist, the blood sample collector, would reach their home, okay, that's when the actual sale would happen. Not before that. Okay. Because then the phlebotomist is sitting in their home. You've already removed most of the hassles of okay. saying... No, you know, all the reasons why you would, because you're now sitting there home, you are now going to puncture them with a needle and draw their blood out. And nobody wants their blood to be drawn out multiple times. <laughs> so at that point of time, the phlebotomist will show them a sheet. Now that sheet was critical the way it was designed. That you have chosen this. The next one is this. This will include this, this, and this will also answer those parameters to you. Okay. Uh -huh. Another 30% people would upgrade there and then who would like, you're sitting here, just do it. Okay. The fourth upgrade, which would happen there is that I'm here in your home. Do you want any other family member to be tested? Okay. So that revenue started at X by the time 
customers would finish the entire cycle will already be 2x. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in this, we didn't spend any money to acquire the customer. This additional X which came in was free. Okay. That was a game changer. And this new money that we generated, okay, it was spiraled back into the business in terms of spends to get acquired new customers, as well as to increase phlebotomists uh, wherever the density of phlebotomists, uh, where the capacity utilization of the phlebotomists in micro areas was increasing. So it was again a carefully designed thing. How do you keep demand and uh, supply, the capacity to be able to service that uh, in to grow in tandem? Okay, So that spiral was a completely different metric from what is used out there in the industry. Okay, So this chain of this entire thing of two, three spirals feeding into each other is what led to the uh, exponential growth. So, of course, our interaction started uh, when you were the admin of the Snubcube uh, WhatsApp community. So, first, I wanted to understand what came around that, what, why the name Snubcube? <laughs> so, uh, Snubcube uh, is an interesting name for two reasons. One is that it's a, it's a geometrical shape. Uh, it's a mathematical shape, which has multiple sides to it. And it is one of the most stable structures uh, uh, theoretically invent as well as the one or two instances of nature of that uh, structure. So it has multiple dimensions and sides to it, but it all falls together in a stable meaning. So that kind of represents when we look at sales or when we look at uh, this, we look at it from multiple dimensions, which most people are not used to uh, looking at. One, it represents that. Second, every alphabet has a meaning. Uh, so, uh, so SN in snub is segmented needs. The first thing which we talked about. Okay. And UB is unbundling, rebundling, which is the product when we unbundle the product and put it together back into uh, that. Okay. And similarly, the uh, cube uh, is stands for uh, uh, CEO selling to the CXO level mm -hmm. at the and a user level with buyer engineering. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's what snub cube is. <laughs> So continuing on the Snubcube journey, uh, I think you've been on it for about nearly a decade now. And I believe you even did a workshop just a couple of weeks back, which had phenomenal success. Uh, some of the stats of your workshop itself that I had read was that 25% of your business participants grew their business around 10x in just six months. And virtually everyone doubled their sales. Uh, you had great stats from your last workshop also. So how do you, what's the secret behind all of this? What, what happens? <laughs> uh, so it's actually a combination of what we've been discussing so far. Okay. Is that uh, uh, I truly believe that, uh, uh, you know, growing sales or growing exponentially is not rocket science. It's actually very straightforward. It's just that we all live in myths. We'll all live in uh, our beliefs, which have been shaped and honed over pieces on how to, to conduct, to run a business, what you've learned from others, or what are the best, the most commonly used consulting uh, term. True. I find that best practices are usually the worst. Okay. Uh, I find that the most commonly accepted beliefs about sales are usually completely wrong. Okay. Uh, <laughs> And that is what I would challenge in the workshop in a structured way that start thinking for yourself, copying somebody 
this framework is not going to work for you like no matter how good that framework is your situation your customers are different the kind of product you sell is different your operations are different there's so many variables your business model is you know there's so many choices in every step of that uh, how you're constructing that business so that that the framework framework that you build for yourself has to be unique while the principles will be common like you know we talk about attention don't waste the customer's attention remove friction from the buying process that the customer can buy now how when you apply that to a b2c context it will be different from how when you apply that to a b2b complex uh, uh, context where there will be a complex decision making process at the end before that happens so when people start questioning at that fundamental level and start redesigning their business and start implementing those changes is when they start to see that it did not take much okay. uh, the, what we forget in this entire process of selling is that selling is not about selling to the customer that the customer doesn't want okay or you this chase part of sales that i have to chase and get the number i have to chase and get it done that's completely false have you ever been able to sell consistently to a customer who bought something that they did not want to buy mm -hmm. true maybe sale in a b2c scenario but again and again you can't do that right customers know what they want and customers want to buy this entire market is working because customers want to buy okay true. so true. that's the only switch that we do it is natural to sell sales is not manipulation sales is not about uh, somehow making it somehow faking it or somehow manipulating people into getting to buy mm -hmm. when you switch and think from the customer side it just becomes a natural process sales is just a formality in the end mm -hmm. fantastic so this was thank you so much anuj this was a really really interesting chat i'm sure many of them would have got a lot of takeaways from this uh, i surely did and i love the concept the basic concepts of power of persuasion voice of customer and pretty much redefine what sales means to most people so being a passionate sales person myself we've had quite a few discussions earlier as well so this is something very very scintillating and interesting so thanks once again anuj for having taken the time out for joining us thank you so much koshik and really thank you for this opportunity to come on your uh, show and be a part of this thank you thanks